Uh, for the past few weeks, um, we have been starting and working our way through the book of Mark. And we're coming up on the end of the first chapter, but if you remember in the book of Mark, he makes it very, very clear that this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the life-changing event of all history. And in this passage, we see Mark focusing on something incredibly life-changing, and it's the identity of Jesus and how that identity actually points us to our identity and how we are changed through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So this is a reading from Mark 1, 35 through 45. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you do not tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us the gospels to learn and know more about you. We pray that we can use this knowledge to strengthen us, to encourage us, um, to even change us, to mold us into who we truly are in you, in our relationship with you. We pray this morning as we listen and hear about your text that we can use it to find our identity in you and you alone. We thank you for your grace and for the work of Jesus and for his healing. In your name, amen. It's what you've always wanted. You're right. You're right it is. That's how Tom Brady responded to an interview on 60 Minutes. Tom Brady has a $60 million contract he has plenty of commercial spots, plenty of Facebook followers, and he's married with three kids. And as one reporter puts it, he has everything he's always wanted. But later in the interview, Brady is sort of overcome with this profound thought. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and think that maybe there's something greater out there for me? People might respond and say, maybe this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think there's got to be more than this. And the reporter, almost fishing for words of wisdom, says, well, what's the answer? And Brady responds, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What have you got what you always wanted? 
And to make it easier, what if you got to choose one thing that people said about you when they saw you? Tom Brady, everyone looks and says, all-star quarterback. What about you? What would you want people to say when they see you? Genius? Hard worker? Millionaire? Successful? Nice? A good person? Supermom. We all want good titles. We want to be identified as an important person, as a good person. We not only want good titles, but we want to avoid negative identifiers. Failure, marriage or family problems, struggles at their job. Everything that could cast our identity in negative light, we want to avoid. And more often than not, we spend hours of our lives trying to manage the way that people see us, manage the titles, manage our identity. And we want to decide what is the best things about ourselves to put forward, to present. We talk about our accomplishments. We want to be the best. We talk about how great people are that know us. And the good and the positive and the things that show how important we are. And we want to hide, avoid, destroy as much as possible anything that presents us in a way in which we do not want to be identified with. The problem with trying to place our identity in things or actions or accomplishments is they'll never be who you truly are. There will always be that moment where I reached my goal, my dream, my life, but there's got to be more. There is hope, though. Our identity does not have to rest on our actions, our net worth, or our appearance because our identity is to rest in Jesus alone. And what we see in Mark's text here is that we're going to see that Jesus has this relationship to the Father. And because of that relationship to the Father, Jesus is then able to identify with sinners. And because he's able to identify with sinners, we get to experience a completely life-changing identity. So first, Jesus' relationship to the Father. Look back at the first part of the text where Jesus is praying. At some point, the disciples realize that Jesus is missing. He has left the place that they were staying, and they begin looking for him. And when they find him, they say, everyone is looking for you. Where have you gone? Now, any time that the Gospels show the disciples starting to tell Jesus what he should be doing or get upset with Jesus in some way, alarm bells should go off. Right away, we know that the disciples are doing what is wrong and Jesus is doing what is right. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is praying. He's being in relationship with the Father. Look back at verse 35. Mark starts piling up the details. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. All of these details encourage us to look and point to something deeper. It points to the importance of him praying and the way that it is done. Look how deliberate Jesus is in this passage. It's the first thing in the morning before light was even out. He deliberately shows us the importance of prayer and the way that it is done. And more importantly than the way that it is done, 
it is the one that he's praying to. He's rerouting himself in his relationship with God the Father. Jesus, the one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, sinless, takes the morning, the first act of the day, to spend time and be in relationship with the Father. And Jesus knows that spiritual nourishment, rest, and ultimately his identity is rooted in the relationship with the Father. And just back in the beginning of Mark, God actually declares the identity of Jesus at the baptism, stating, this is my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus' first act in the morning is coming back to that identity, coming back to his identity with his relationship with the Father. Everything that Jesus claims to be, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, stems from his identity and his relationship with the Father. And let's contrast this with what the disciples are doing instead. What are the disciples pointing to? Everyone is looking for you. Your identity is wrapped up in your actions. Jesus, you've healed people, and look how many more people want to be healed. Look at your fans. Come greet them. Sign some autographs. Yet Jesus doesn't find his identity in that. He doesn't find his identity in the crowds. He doesn't find his identity in his actions. He finds it in his relationship to the Father. And Jesus is not doing what the disciples or we typically do. We try to earn our title or our identity, right? I mean, can't we just give ourselves a title? Can't we just tell ourselves that we're okay? I mean, I, I strive for moral perfection. I'm, I'm a nice person. I do good. Well, do you realize that something outside of yourself always has to tell yourself that you're worth it? Tom Brady can't say I'm an all-star quarterback unless he actually gets up there and someone says, oh, he's an all-star quarterback. You can't say you're a good parent unless you have the results of your children or someone comes up to you and says, you're a good parent. You can't say you're a good employee if you get fired. You have to have actually your boss say, this is a good worker, this is a good employee. So Jesus is pointing us to where we actually should find our identity. It's not in our works, it's not in our actions, but our identity should be found in the Father alone and what God declares about us. And God the Father declares that Jesus is the one he loves. And Jesus shows us his example that his identity does not rest on the praises of men, but in the relationship with the Father. And we need to do the same thing. We need to find our identity in God alone. Now, there's just one problem for us. We should rightfully say that we need to find our identity in God the Father alone. We should rightfully say that we need to not look at the praises of others or our actions, but to the relationship with God. The problem is, is that when we go to God, we get the identity and title that we deserve. And that's the title of sinner. But there's hope. As we will soon see, Jesus is the one who identifies with sinners. And now we get into the second story in which we find a man with leprosy. Leprosy in those days was a reference to a disease on the skin. So it could be 
of multiple things. It could be painful sores all over the body. It could be bumps on the arm. It could be a fungus that has spread in different places. Um, But already, we know that this is not a good thing. And the people in those times know it's not a good thing. We would know that there's going to be people who would not want to be around a man with leprosy because of the illness. It's gross to look at. There's a chance that I could be infected. I don't even want to hang out with him because of what people will think about me hanging out with a man with leprosy. So at this point, the man with leprosy is already at the lower end of the totem pole of society. But it actually gets worse. In those days, lepers were considered ceremoniously unclean. Anyone who had the disease was required to wear torn clothing and put a veil under their mat, over their face and cry out any time that someone got close to them, unclean, unclean. So the leper was an outcast. They would be financially and socially isolated, completely dependent on charity. Leprosy, understandably, was one of the most feared diseases of those days because it made you unfit for society. So not only did leprosy make you sick and less attractive in appearance, it actually went further than that and separated you from society as a whole. You were an outcast. You had no standing. You were worthless. And the leper cries out to Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. And we know that the leper wanted to be freed from the disease, but more than that, he wanted to be freed from the title and identity of worthless, of the rejection. And Jesus, in all his love, mercy, power, reaches out and touched him, and he was healed. Jesus is actually taking on all the negative social stigma of the leper and reaching out and touching him. Jesus could have healed him from a distance, but instead he's showing everyone around him that he's willing to enter in and join the outcast. And going back to the first point, Jesus is so rooted in his identity with the Father that his social standing has no bearing on who he is. Him being a part of an outcast life does not make him a loser or a failure. And don't we want people in our lives like that? Don't we want someone who knows all our illness, all our weakness, all our failure, all the ways in which people would look at us and say, gross. And yet this person who knows everything about us still reaches out and with compassion says, I am willing. I am willing to be identified with you. I am willing to know all the ways that you can hurt me, betray me, be evil, and I still want to be in a relationship with you. I still want you to be a part of my life. I see your sin, I see your wickedness, and I love you. I still want you. And this story of the leper is just a preview of what Jesus is ultimately going to do for everyone. We are like the man with leprosy. We are cast out. We have sin in our lives. We are unclean. And we rightfully so have been cast out of the kingdom of God for our rebellion. God the Father cannot be in relationship with sin, with rebels. So what does Jesus do? 
Jesus taking his relationship with the Father, the one who is perfect, the one that, who has lived the perfect life, who has always obeyed the Father, takes that relationship and says, I will take the, relation, I will take the place of the sinner. And God the Father, being a righteous judge, says, we cannot just ignore sin. There must be punishment for sin. And Jesus says, I am willing. I will take the place of these people. The people who are outcasts who sin, who do not deserve compassion, I am willing. So Jesus, which Mark points to throughout his entire gospel, will take the cross and in it take our punishment. The one who had the perfect relationship, the one who had the perfect identity in the Father, will now take the relationship and the identity of the broken, of the destroyed, of the relationship of sinners, and take on the identity of that, and now be declared as one who has sinned and one who has uncleaned. And what happens on the cross is he takes his perfection, his perfect identity, his perfect relationship with the Father, takes his robe of righteousness and puts it on us. And he takes our robe of sinfulness, of greed, of, of evil, and puts it on himself. And what does this mean for us? It means we no longer have to be searching for identity that is self-made one that worries about success or appearance or the people we know or the places we've been. Instead, it is rooted in the work of another, the perfect, unchanging, declaring final work of Jesus on the cross. And do you realize that when we have the robe of righteousness of Jesus' identity on us, that now God is declaring of you what he declared of Jesus earlier in Mark 1? that you are my sons and daughters, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And no one, nothing, no hell, no angels, no demons can separate you from that identity, from that title, from that love, from that relationship with God. And I'm going to share with you an illustration from one of my favorite uh, pastors, and he, it's, it's about the nature and the benefits of sharing Christ's identity. And it could be seen with the way that teenagers use their parents' identity. Um, if your teenager needs a car, you give them a car, and they take the car, and sadly, they don't have enough money for gas. So you give them your credit card. Now, your credit card has your name on it, but you give the teenager your credit card. And what's beautiful about modern-day technology is you don't actually have to be physically present for them to use that credit card. They can even use the gas pump without you being there. So what happens is, is teenagers do not actually have the means, they do not have the money, they do not have the credit to actually use the gas pump because they have no money. But instead, they take your credit card and with your per permission and according to your desire, they now assume your identity. Although they cannot fulfill the conditions required for the payment of gas, your child now has all the credits available to them to use to get gas in the car. They meet the qualifications required, not because of what they've done, but because of what you've done. And you're a teenager, although they could not provide for themselves, acts with your identity, and thus takes on your benefits. And that's the same with us in Christ. Is there, we have nothing. We're sinners. We are outcasts. And yet, 
we now receive, if you are in Christ, all the benefits that he has gotten through his relationship with the Father. If you admit, much like the leper, that I am a sinner, I am unclean, I'm in need of healing, and look to Jesus, admitting that you deserve the cross, knowing that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus took your punishment, acknowledging Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. And not only saved, not only salvation, but you'll have a new identity. You no longer have to be identified by your failures, but instead you're identified by the one who claims you as his own. And now you receive that identity and relationship that Jesus had to the Father, and you are now sons and daughters of God. You are no longer slaves to the world. And because of this relationship, because of this new identity, because of Jesus' work on the cross, we now have an opportunity to receive a completely new identity. Going back to the final part of the passage, we run into something kind of confusing. Jesus, after healing the leper, calls him and sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why did Jesus command the leper not to tell anyone? There could be two reasons. First uh, is the one that Pastor Kevin pointed out last week. Jesus knows that the minute people begin to hear about his ministry, especially the Pharisees, they will begin their persecution of him. And step by step by step, he will be getting closer to the cross. So that's the first reason. The second reason relates specifically to what we talked about earlier. How did Jesus start his day? Grounding himself in his identity through the relationship with the Father. So what does Jesus call the leper to do? He calls him to do the exact th same thing, to go be with the Father, to present thanksgiving, to be in relationship. No longer find your identity in your leprosy, or at this point your lack of leprosy, but instead go be with God because your identity is found in your relationship with him. Yet the leper goes out and tells everyone. No doubt he goes and tells the very people who were avoiding him before. And he says, look, I'm no longer a leper. Jesus took care of the one thing the leper wanted him to take care of. So the leper at this point is like, I'm good. I got the thing I wanted to be taken care of. And yet we know he missed the point. He knew where to go for healing. He knew to cry out to Jesus. But when he was healed of the one thing that he thought was the only problem in his life, he ignored the chance to be changed even more. Even more renewal in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And there's a C.S. Lewis story um, that points to this fact that God will not just change one thing in our lives, but he's going to change a whole lot of things. So imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild the house. And at first, he starts fixing things that you expect. There's a leaky gutter. You know, I, you know, the fireplace was crumbling a little bit, so he starts fixing that. Maybe there needs to be a new paint job in the bathroom, so God takes care of that. But after he gets done with all that work, you start noticing him knocking down a wall, and it starts to hurt. And you go, God, what are you doing? What on earth is he up to? And the explanation is, is that 
he's changing your house completely different than you expected. You start seeing new wings pop up, new floors. You start seeing hedges and towers. And what you thought your life was going to be that God would just change a little thing here and there and I'm going to be a little cottage. God actually wants to radically transform you into a palace and a place where he's going to live and put his identity. So when the leper goes out to the people instead of the temple, not only the leper himself, but the people that he told about the miracle miss the purpose, the point of Jesus' ministry. Jesus showed miracles to point to the kingdom of God, to a complete life-changing relationship. But instead, people came to be spectators of wonders. I've solved my one problem, Jesus, and I'll be good. The leper is an example of someone who goes to Jesus for help but refuses to find his whole identity in him. He points to the good thing, the single result that he wanted, and completely misses the point of responding to God in thankfulness for complete renewal. He looks at the, he looks at the action, and he misses the relationship. And we have to be careful when we talk about our faith that we, not, we are not pointing to the results or the one thing that God has changed in our lives, but instead speak of the relationship, speak of the total transformation that God has done in our lives. And a lot of times we can kind of present Christianity as a self-help enterprise. Oh, you have to read this book. If you read this one book, your, your one thing will be solved and you'll be good and you'll be happy. Oh, we should go get coffee and I'll tell you all the things that you're doing wrong and you can fix them and you'll be happy. You have to go listen to this preacher. He's so good. Now, much like the leper being healed of his disease, books, coffee, preachers are all good things. But if we point people to the results of our faith or the church, Instead of the one who produces the results, we've lost. We will become more like the leper, worried about calling on God to change specific things in our lives instead of entering into a complete life-changing relationship and identity that is offered to us. So do you remember in the beginning of the sermon when we asked, what would you want people to say when they see you? What would you want your title to be? What do you want your identity to be? What is comforting about the gospel is that our identity is not a result of our actions, but rests in Jesus alone. We first recognize the relationship that Jesus has to the Father, a perfect one, and Jesus finds his identity in him. And because of that, because of Jesus having a perfect relationship with the Father, then through the cross, he's able to take on the identity of sinners and give us a perfect standing before the Father. And finally, through receiving this new relationship, we can be completely changed. And what is beautiful about being on the other side of this story is that Jesus does not give us the command not to tell anyone. We actually get to tell everyone the good news of a relationship with Jesus Christ, of a relationship that moves us from attempting to earn titles and identity and hide the things that we don't want, but instead we get an identity that's given to us as a gift so that we have a perfect standing before God. So we get to go out and tell everyone about that relationship, not just focusing on one change that Jesus has made 
or using God for changes that we agree to, but focusing on a complete renewal of our identity given to us in Christ. And that's an identity that proudly declares, I'm a sinner saved by grace. This statement no longer has to destroy us of saying, I'm a sinner, but instead we get to proudly declare, I'm a sinner and I have Jesus as my identity. And it grounds us in who we actually are. Not your failures, but Jesus' perfection. And it's beautiful that our standing is not based on our actions anymore, but based on an unchangeable relationship with God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what your Son has done on the cross for our sins. The fact that he had a perfect relationship with you and was willing to use that perfect relationship to give it to us sinners who were in need, who were outcasts, who were the ones who did wicked and evil and was able to take on our identity so that we may now have a perfect relationship with you. We pray that as we leave this place, we reflect on our true identities, not the identities that try to earn titles or the identities that try to hide our imperfections, but instead ones that boldly go out and declare, I'm a sinner, but now I have the identity of Jesus, the identity that goes out and cares for those in need. And we pray that we're able to present the relationship very boldly and clearly to everyone we meet. In your name, amen. Please stand as we continue to worship. We'll be singing uh, Be Thou My Vision, verses 1 and 2. Please be seated. We come to this table by the invitation of God. We come because Jesus is the one who died for us. He is the one who has been raised from the dead. And so we come at the invitation of Jesus himself. And so listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. We come because of what Jesus has done for us. And so if you come by faith identifying with Christ in his work on the cross, then you're invited to this table. You don't need to be a member of Faith Presbyterian Church. But you should have made that that identity in Christ public by joining a church that preaches this gospel, that proclaims this good news. You should be welcomed by the leaders of your church to come and, and receive this sacrament. And so if you've not come to faith in Christ, if you've not identified with him, then we ask that you just pass the trays as they come. That you consider what you have heard today, even what, what you have heard and read in the, the words of Scripture, but the death and resurrection of Christ. If you have young children with you, we ask that they wait to partake until they have had opportunity to proclaim and explain their faith to our, pa- to our pastors and elders. If you'd like your kids to do that, talk to me or talk to one of our elders after the worship service. But you come today not because of what you have done. You come declaring your faith in what Jesus has done for you. And so you come not in your own strength. You come in weakness and sorrow and sadness. You come to, to receive the strength of God, the, the fellowship with Christ. You come to, to eat and drink spiritually and be nourished by Jesus. So we come because Jesus is present with us. This is a kingdom meal. The king who reigns in heaven is here now. Jesus, the one who died in our place, Jesus who will come again. And so come and receive Christ by faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would nourish us spiritually. Lord, that you would let us to to see the the power of Jesus' kingdom, to know the truth of the gospel, that Jesus the King reigns in heaven now. Jesus the King will return. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that Jesus, our Savior, took our sins. He identified with us. He paid our penalty. And Lord, we thank you that in in the hope of the gospel that we, when we come by faith, we've received his righteousness. We are welcomed by you as sons and daughters. So Father, strengthen us through this meal. Let let us who come with with weak faith be, be, be empowered by Jesus. Let those who who watch, who witness, who observe this today see in these elements, in the the bread and the juice, see the work of Jesus. Lord, proclaim the gospel, even through the witness of your church. Strengthen us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. We heard the words that Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples. And so ministering to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we give you this bread.
Jesus Christ identified with you. He took your sins upon himself. His body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after the supper had ended, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant being poured out in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Ministering in his name now, I give you this cup. 